plenty of guppies and other dating misadventures, lust, loss, and lessons of love from 101 Dates, a memoir told in poetry and prose read by the author, Zenashe. I believe that no experience is a waste. It either taught me what I desire or what I should deny my time and energy. Life is a school that gives us the test and then the lesson. So here are the lessons I learned on this seven-year journey. Hopefully these lessons will enrich your life. They certainly enrich mine. You can save this list for later as each lesson is written at the end of each chapter. But I included it on page two for those who might be curious or want it later as a reference. Happy reading. Chapter one, attitude. I belong to that classification of women that men don't think exist, single by choice and content. Many men fathom themselves fairy godfathers, warning women to wed, settle down, commit before the clock strikes old age and we're left in the cinders with only birds and cats as company. Once their warnings might have stuck, but that was years ago, before my odyssey. I started out like most young women, a virgin, saving myself, fearful of sex like a roller coaster I'd always wanted to ride but couldn't truly picture myself climbing on. Pregnancy and STDs, enough of a threat to keep me on the kiddie rides, safe and secure and thrillless. Marriage came and went, long, unfulfilling, outside of my children. Not at all like people said it would be. Divorce, for me, signaled a new beginning. Enter the first online profile. I posted a pic, wondering if any man would even notice me, and got 100 inboxes in three days. The ugly duckling was a swan, it seemed. And I was ready after being a tension and sex star for years. This was a chance to see how the single, ready to mingle, half lived. I lined up 16 meeting greets in as many days, and in waltz JJ. JJ. Dad bod, but with the smooth practice air of a man who knew how to mack. He was just what I wanted, needed, craved. A good listener, patient, willing to give me as much sex as I could handle, and after nine years of dealing with impotence, I could handle a lot. He was wine and flowers and soft jazz romantic. Taught me I was multi-orgasmic, something I didn't know, although I'd been married twice and was 43 years old. He was fun, carefree, and asked for nothing. I was spoiled. I didn't have to cook, clean, wash, put up with BS. I didn't get grilled, ignored, neglected, or have to beg for attention. He was perfect, except he didn't want to commit. He was burned, wary, and happy being a bachelor for life. I'd never met a man like this. I'd never been a woman like this. I loved both. We had a fabulous six months and two weekends, no regrets. My favorite Gemini ever. I have to admit, I'm eager. My story wriggling like a puppy in a dog shelter, ready to jump into your lap. So I should go back a little. Nothing is that simple. Pre-date prep. The online profile had been my divorce gift to myself. The first, no, the second thing I did after walking into the bright light of downtown outside the Houston courthouse. 
The first had been a smartphone. I couldn't work. My first foray from the flip phone I'd had for years. The constant BlackBerry updates drove me mad. But it was a step forward, a necessity for step two, the online profile. A few months earlier, I'd lunch with a colleague, hoisted myself into a massive monster of a truck, and sat back for a quick ride across the freeway to, to Subway. On the way, he'd shifted gears unexpectedly brushing my thigh. I'd flinched. He apologized, startled by my reaction, and frowned harshly as if to say, did she think I was hitting on her? Then I saw his expression change as it slowly dawned on both of us. I reacted that severely because I hadn't been touched by a man in so long that it startled me. My face reddened as the Prince lyric, Darling, I know it's been a long time since you've been satisfied. I can tell by the look in your eyes you need it real bad, real bad. You need it so bad, so bad. Played on the radio. The universe had jokes, jokes at my expense. My coworker stated softly, Don't let another man see you react like that. They might take advantage. We never spoke of it, moved the conversation right along. I was married, husband in my home, in my bed, yet had not been touched in eight months. That was the day I called my lawyer to check on the status of the divorce, and I started researching dating sites. By the end of that fateful subway day, I had my pictures ready to post, my profile ready to upload, and a determination that I'd never flinch from a casual brush on my knee again. I'd filed in January and thought the divorce would be done by spring break. No such luck. But I posted my profile anyway, breaking away symbolically, listed myself as separated and looking for casual dating. It took a few months for me to sort through the hundreds of messages that came in. I was really looking for only four things, chemistry, intelligence, good communication, and someone separated or single. By June 14th, when I walked out a free woman, I'd narrowed the field to 16, converse repeatedly with each and set up dates one after the other. Yes, I was impatient, horny, lonely. Like dominoes, I was looking for all to topple but one, the man who would become my new boo. I genuinely hoped I'd enjoy meeting and conversing with each and every one, but I wanted one and only one to stand out. And had I met Mr. Met My Four Standards on date one, I was perfectly willing to cancel the other 15 dates. But somehow, even though I'd been out of the dating pool for almost 11 years, that seemed highly unlikely. Still, I don't think you'll believe the 15 dates I had. I'm going to describe them. Brace yourself. Sometimes I wonder if JJ was really all that suave or just so normal in contrast to the funhouse freaks I encountered. It started out so auspicious. The first three phone conversations, decadent, compliments thick and sweet, a caramel mocha of words topped with whipped cream and a chocolate drizzle. After a silent house, perfunctory salutations and family meetings that replaced small talk, the pet names, the being noticed, the active listening, mirroring what I said with understanding, was a heady brew. Because of the thick, sweet, and beguiling conversations, I was somewhat infatuated with the first three guys before I even met any of them. Date one. 
lands, a.k.a. doe and jowls. The first was Lance, who gifted me with a pic so tastefully erotic it inspired this point. Lance. He carries the perfect name, ready and waiting like a spear, chiseled like his namesake, strong of mind and sure, manly and decisive, precise and finely tuned, crafted like gilt armor, resisting him is doomed. From bronze arms to cut abs to places never seen, from carved pecs to strapped shoulders, nary a hair is seen. And even if the underbelly is downy reddish-brown, the goddesses will squeal and swoon when Adonis drops his towel. Seeing Lance arouses fire enough to build a thirst, and touching him must make the fires so much worse. Apollo will kick himself and Hercules will scowl because no one in Olympus's court looks so good in just a towel. Filled with swag and confidence, his demeanor should be quite a specimen of man. This Lance turned out to be. We met at Papacito's on the patio. I walked up, sun in my eyes, and sat eyes adjusting. The sun glared off his bald head. My eyes slid down his frame, recalling the pick. My poem, my creative juices flowed again. He earned the first nickname I ever gifted a date, Doe and Jowls, wrinkled. Oh, so much sexier on film. I drank a water and chatted a few minutes till I excused myself. One down, 15 to go. But I know you have so many questions. How did I feel? I was catfished. I didn't know that word, catfish. And it actually didn't occur to me till right now that I was. In that moment, I was stupefied. A myriad of thoughts twinkling in my head. I'd always been told that white men like thin women. And I stood there, plus size, busty, athletically built, Queen Latifah-esque, and not a dainty bone in sight. Yet, my inbox was filled with 70% white men. I was unprepared. Then... My mind flitted to arguments, pleading, even me crying, which I almost never did. I'd asked my former husband, Drew, for two things nine years before. Take me out once a month and get checked by a doctor. Find out what's causing the erectile dysfunction. He refused both for nine years, although I circled back to the questions like a metro bus on a route. Every few months, I'd ask again, hoping that he'd listen and see there was no reason for me to stay if there was no hope. I'd hoped our relationship, our connection, our vows, our family was more vital and important than his ego and his denial. It wasn't. So I was actually surprised, stunned, and a little angry even that a stranger would, had, gotten dressed, drove, and sat waiting, offering me anything on the menu for a moment of my time. I blinked several times, taking in this newness. I was not invisible. A man, not the one I'd expected or wrote the poem to, but a living, breathing, flesh and blood, testosterone-pumping man was smiling at me, flirting with me, asking me questions. I wanted to dissect him under a microscope. What made him different? than the cold fish who could walk into our house and head to our bedroom without a word. 
I followed the conversation in a daze, every now and then responding to questions about my divorce with my husband. The ex still somewhere intangible, not practiced on my lips. Lance was sympathetic, had a similar story. He was the first I had told, feeling embarrassed that I was a reject who couldn't make my husband, the man who had sworn to always love, honor, and protect me, desire me. Confidence non-existent, I was shook by his protestations that I was gorgeous, sexy, very desirable. Cognitive dissonance was fully in place. If all that was true, why was I divorced? Twice. It's crazy when you get exactly what you want, but not from the person you wanted it from. And you just stare at it, turning the jewel over and over in your hand, unsure of how to don it, or even if it really belongs to you. Unworthiness, the parting gift of my husband. Self-doubt, a close second. And insecurity, loomed third. All three negative voices were talking so loudly, I could barely hear Lance cutting each down. He was a warrior after all, but I was still occupied territory, mentally and emotionally. And he was unable to liberate me because at the end of the day, there was nothing physically I found attractive about him. Day, date, two, leather hands. He was a wordsmith who had my head swinning, imagination brimming, visions of us making love filled my head before we even met. It seemed inevitable, likely, and then... The farthest thing from possible when I saw him, all arms and legs gangly like a grown man teenager who hadn't grown into his growth spurt. He smiled at me broadly while I reciprocated shyly as I mentally promised myself to never spend months talking to someone before meeting him. For the second time, I was adjusting my expectations down to basement level. He hugged me. We stood awkwardly in line at Starbucks waiting to order. And he leaned over to whisper that he couldn't wait to hold me as he masturbated. At first, I was so distracted by the feeling of his leathery palm, the words did not penetrate. Then I was confused. This was how he opened? This was his ultimate orgasm? I searched for a reply, came up empty and said, this was a mistake, and walked out. Two numbers purged from my phone. I tried to shake the melancholy. How could I feel dirty after a five-minute interaction? I flashed back to our conversations, confused. Leatherhand seemed to understand me so well. Then, what had changed? I missed the early days of my marriage. Everything easy, natural, love like a warm blanket pulled over one's shoulders that fit like a second skin. I walked around in it, cocooned, comforted, consoled from every difficulty in the world. I stripped my clothes off. Jumping into a tub, so scalding it hurt at first, and scrubbed, exfoliated, loofed my body, disgust, a dust that I could rinse off if I attacked it hard enough. I took pleasure in the suds draining, the day date draining into the sewers with all the other filth. Day, date three. The penitent, pen. I was nervous for this one, not because we were going someplace fancy or expensive, but because of the 16 dates I'd planned, this was the one that I'd spent extensive time getting to know. 
and the other two investments had turned out so badly. This was going to be my first meet and greet, a drive through date, a pit stop in our day where we looked each other over and gave our assessment. KFC was the place, six was the time. He drove up in a white van and momentarily I thought of what that color and that vehicle had meant to kids growing up in the 70s and 80s. We both got out of our vehicles and this was like a sappy chick flick. His eyes glowed. He thought I was beautiful. He was tall, beautiful hands, long eyelashes, hair short and curly, a button nose and a perfectly formed mouth. A grown up caramel Gerber baby. My body reacted instinctively, breath quickened, pulse raised, loins throb, hands eager to touch. It was the proverbial, a woman knows within five minutes if she'll sleep with a man, moment. It had only taken 30 seconds. The way he looked at me only made me want him more, made it hard to concentrate on the words he spoke. He touched my arm, hands soft but firm. Instantly I I imagined his fingers in mine, in my hair on the small of my back, pulling me close and lifting my chin for a kiss. And then the mood changed, his eyes darkening, looking away. He hadn't expected to feel so attracted, so drawn, so intense. He'd just gotten divorced. This felt like cheating. I gasped and pulled my hand away. His guilt guilt loomed strong and heavy. The hope I'd felt rising in my heart, the joy... The excitement of possibility squashed in an instant like a candle's flame between two fingers. Every time he looked at me, I felt the stir, the almost desire to be there, to wait, to invest the months or years till he was ready. Yet, I knew that there was no guarantee. And I had just gotten divorced because I had waited for nine years for my husband to be ready to take me out once a month and admit to a professional that he was an impotent man in need of treatment. And when that day finally came that my husband sat before a doctor asking for help, I'd filed for a divorce six weeks before, and it was too late. My heart had been broken too long to offer second chances. Now, I sat across from another unready man, a penitent. Three dates, three mirrors. The first showing me my insecurity, unworthiness, and self-doubt. The second, unearthing my fear that my ex-husband not valuing our marriage over his ego meant somehow that I was of little value. The third, making me wonder if something was wrong with me, dating this soon, not waiting, and not feeling guilty. The lack of shame, a sudden source of shame. I had lined up these dates to find the man who would brush my knee, my body, my breast, my lips intentionally, who would replace eight months of isolation with companionship and sex, who would replace nine years of impotence with something hard and reliable. And all I was meeting was me. Different sides, different shades, different issues. When I walked back to my car this time, it was harder, though. I didn't want to. I was wishing I could erase this meeting and turn back the clock to the flirty conversations that got us here. His deep voice, his wit, his intelligence. Married to a man who was the opposite of an intellectual, who didn't have one opinion that wasn't first broadcast over talk radio. I had first been floored by the penitent's eloquent brilliance. 
I didn't know the word sapiosexual then. I just knew I could listen to Penn for hours, days, weeks, months, maybe even years, and never get bored. Part of me wanted to keep seeing him, talking to him, just for that. But the other stronger part, the greedy part, that wanted to seduce him just to see his eyes locked on me again, to replace guilt and shame with pleasure was barely restrained. That part didn't care that he needed time, space, healing. It wanted him all bare mine. I was better than that. Penn deserved better than that. I kept walking. Three dates, three strikes. And although I had 13 more lined up, this track record was not good for my already shot confidence. I came from a line of married women, long marriages, not good ones. And suddenly I was wondering, not for the first time, if it was my fate to meet men who wanted me, whom I did not want, and men I wanted who also wanted me, but not enough for it to make a difference. I guess I should mention the elephant in the room, so many dates, and this was just the beginning. There's this prevailing belief about serial dater just looking for a free meal, uninterested in the men and just using them as notches on a belt. If you notice, I had three dates slash meet and greets, and so far, not one dime was spent on me. I'm not typical. I was never a dater. I went on one date, prom in high school, and married two homebodies who took me out probably a half a dozen times in almost six, 11 years, and most of those outings were family functions. So this was not about free meals, or me being bored, or me bragging to my girls, it was me climbing step by step out of the valley of isolation and becoming reacclimated to men, dating, sex, and love. I saw it as my path of redemption. Day date four, Mr. Literacy. I had screened out the married men I thought, both in the categories I picked on my profile and in my pre-date questions. But as I sat sipping peach herbal tea at a local coffee shop, across from this dark mocha being with short dreads, a stocky body, and a personality halfway between a jock and a geek. I learned he was married, and here because his wife wouldn't do it doggy style. He also wanted to convince me to do it without condoms, else he would lose his erection. The bluntness once again startled and confused me. He could say this to my face, but not on the phone and save us the meeting? That made no sense. So I asked him why he hadn't told me this earlier. He said he thought I might be swayed by our vibe and his appearance, two advantages he couldn't use on the phone. Neither mattered to me, and I felt sorry for his wife, but also annoyed. It seemed like this was a couple who should not have married, probably one of those couples who assumed sex would come naturally and didn't discuss sexual compatibility, and now he was searching online. And he was very likely to find what he was looking for, given his vibe and appearance. And he knew it. I imagine his wife knew nothing. And I felt annoyed that she let so easy a thing to do get between them. Like my ex refusing to admit to a doctor he had ED, even though I'd offered to pay with my Flexpin card. I'd made appointments, which he kept, and talked about the diabetes he'd hid from me for two years, and got his diabetes meds changed three times. 
but he wouldn't open his mouth to speak about ED and she wouldn't open hers to lick, suck, or swallow. I felt like a candid camera victim swept into a different version of that movie where a man is about to divorce his wife because she doesn't give head. This, my fourth date, was just as short as the first three, and Mr. Literacy was just another man I'd never speak to again. By now, I was keeping a log on my computer and telling my best friend, a guy I'd met through Black People Meet but never met in person, all the deets. And I'd picked up a habit. Each guy had a nickname, Doe and Jowls, The Penitent, Leather Hands, and Mr. Literacy. He'd been so engrossed in a book when I first walked in that I almost left because I didn't think my date was present. Had I not called and heard his phone ring, I would have left. Everyone in these online dating sites had these weird monikers that I couldn't remember, and who knew if the name they were giving me as real was in fact real. So it just seemed a natural outgrowth of this unnatural way of meeting. New guy, new nickname. Day, date, five, the scanner. The scanner picked a fabulous sports bar that served craft beers, hundreds of them. Not that I was a drinker. I just didn't even know there was such variety. Ambience prevailed, but he was so nervous, I almost excused myself. He scanned the crowd like a convict on the lam. Another married man, wow, two in a row. He was married to a foreigner who'd paid for marriage to him to get her green card. Now, he needed loving. He only stopped scanning after two beers. Then, it turned out, surprise, surprise, he had a personality after all. But I didn't have an appetite or a thirst. I hadn't made it home before he was hitting me up on the app, asking me to be nice and give him a great review so that he had a better chance of meeting someone compatible. I hadn't even explored the app enough to know that there were reviews. So I replied asking how to find them and went and looked up all my upcoming prospects. Most had no reviews, but a few had intriguing ones. People reviewing other people on a dating app, who'd have thunk it? One star, dead fish. Two, Nice, interesting. Three, a good time. Four, a blast. Five, a keeper. And then a space for comments, some of which turned out to be ratings of stamina, size, and performance. Well, all righty then. I was not leaving a review. He was somewhere between dead fish and nice, interesting. And interesting only because I never thought I'd meet a modern version of a male order husband. Ironically, I ran into him a few months later at a thrift shop, standing in line, looking awkward, scanning. I guess that was his perpetual error, sans alcohol. He didn't notice me, and I kept it moving. Day, date six. Rico Suave. Another bar, my first alcoholic drink, and a Hispanic lawyer with the sexiest accent I'd ever heard who touched my hand the entire time we talked. Another married man. No excuses. He wanted variety. Now I was feeling antsy. Did something in my profile, my pick, my demeanor hint I was mistress material? Again, I balked, but he walked me to my car, although I declined the offer. He kissed me unexpectedly, his taste lingering on my lips, seductive, a promise so heady I almost forgot he was taken. 
He'd slid up to me and had me in his arms in one second so smoothly I didn't even have time to protest. Smelling woodsy, he pulled me in just right, forceful, possessive, like a man who knew what he wanted, what I wanted, and had every intention of fulfilling my every desire. The pleasure that ran through me instantly parted my lips, closed my eyes, and his lips and tongue were there, a part of mine. Joined, dancing, intertwining as I softened further, melded to him head to toe. Had our clothes been off, we'd have been making love. So close. So joined, my head spun. My eyes flew open, staring into his, an amber brown under dark eyebrows. Passionate eyes, sinful lips. I could feel his erection. I lingered there a moment, unable to remember the last time I had felt any of this. Wondering, had my husband's ever taken possession of my body like this? I didn't think so. Everything in me wanted to surrender. The word yes in my mind, the softness of my body, the question in my eyes. I shook my head, swatting away the question, could I do this? Forcefully. And he pulled back, opening my door, watching me sit, and closed the door with a pat. Good with words, better with his body. I knew he would have been a good lover, but I had enough guilt from the kiss. The words of the penitent were playing in my head, though I'll admit for a minute, I thought, I'm not married. He is. I took no vows. He did. But that was rationalization, pure and simple, and I drove away. Although I wanted to look at his reviews, I didn't. I didn't need to. It wouldn't have been good to. Although I knew he was a cheater, I was jealous of his wife for a minute. All that in a few minutes, and she lived with that at her disposal? He was the second sex pot in as many days. Gorgeous, fit, sensual, flirtatious, and unfaithful. I decided before I sat down and engaged with any other dates, I was asking again, are you married? I texted the 11 men left, stating in no uncertain terms, I was not a mistress. Your vibes and looks won't sway me. You can't seduce me. Don't waste your time. Then I went to brush and gargle Rico Suave away. Day, date seven, Grizzly Adams. Lunch brought me Grizzly Adams the risk taker who bungee jumped and raced motorcycles, who entered Papado's, encouraged me to order whatever I wanted, and once the food arrived and we'd begun eating, proceeded to complain about his wife, who took his money, was perpetually learning a new skill, taking new classes, spending his money to do so, and then not getting any job related to her new certifications. But she did give him a whole box of condoms before his last business trip with the advice, have fun, and she did swing with him and a couple from Craigslist. I'd forgotten to ask, was he married before I sat down? I probably assumed the text would have deterred him had he been. I set my fork down and asked, why did you ask me out? I told you on the app and in our phone conversations, I was not interested in married men. I was interested in meeting you anyway. Who wouldn't want to entertain a beautiful, intelligent woman? My ex-husband's. They didn't want to take me out or entertain me. I don't need any reward but your company, 
Grizzly had said. Your smile, your warm demeanor, your banter. I shrugged. He wanted that. He got that. We were already there. I was already eating, drinking, being fascinated by his lifestyle. This couple, people really live like this? Swingers? Open marriages? Had rules and all? His tale was too crazy to be made up. I considered this my walk on the wild side. Tomorrow, I would be back on the straight and narrow. Day, date, 8 through 10. Moby Dick, Morris Dazed, and Preacher Boy, I'll cover together. I met each at Denny's, and we talked in the vestibule and never made it to the table. Moby showed me a dick pic of his giant penis, hoping I would follow him to a hotel. That was not on my agenda. Dazed was more androgynous than any man I had ever met. And I wasn't sure he was into women, so I excused myself. And Preacher Boy talked about the ministry, then asked for pictures of me to jack off to. After the last one, it took a pep talk from my best friend San Antonio for me not to cancel all the remaining dates. San told me I'd invested time and I had no alternative. He said they couldn't be all that bad. And I should just go through with my plan and reevaluate if I hadn't met someone after date 16. I agree. Yes, I met my best friend on a dating site, but we'll get to that later. Days, dates, 11 through 13. Primetime news, Mr. Nice Guy and Reggae Man were drinks and boredom so profound, I regretted leaving my house and wished I had set up the emergency call 15 minutes in to rescue me. But although I hadn't set up that call, JJ did call me each of those three nights, replacing boredom with interest in him, anticipation for our date, and hope that he would finally be the one. Days, dates 14 and 15. These two dates were the first to end in insults. The incredibly hulky Letcher arrived at Applebee's 30 minutes late and told me he almost stood me up and asked why I picked a restaurant on the feeder of the freeway with construction in the area. Well, I didn't know about the construction and GPS helped me navigate it perfectly. Well, he hadn't been able to use his GPS because his phone was almost dead and he was out of data and he didn't have a phone charger. And he stared at me as if all that was my fault. He sat down complaining. The restaurant smelled. It was empty and there weren't many drink options on the menu. And of course, they wouldn't have his brand of alcohol. He was obnoxious. But he was all smiles when our waitress arrived. A college student, a new transplant from out of state, studying something, I forgot what. Every time she came over, he asked her new questions. More questions than he asked me. He looked at every woman who entered the restaurant or left her table up and down. But he was most enamored with our 20-something server, a black version of Callista Flockhart. She so thin, I so voluptuous. If she was his type, I most definitely was not. Or was anything in a skirt his type? Hmm. 
When it came time for dessert, which was included in the package we had ordered, appetizer, meal, dessert, he made a comment about the calorie count and what I'd already eaten. And I was done. I thanked him for dinner, walked out, and was about to enter my car when he came rushing out incense. Why are you in such a hurry? He bellowed. I already told you good night. You didn't have to come out here. It was obvious. You were more interested in every woman in the restaurant, especially our waitress. Huh? She's young enough to be my daughter. And you spent more time getting to know her than you did me. She and I were both extremely uncomfortable. You didn't even seem to notice. I hinted you were grilling her and you simply shrugged it off and kept going. Don't change the subject. You're trying to get home to Bob. By this time, he was within arm's reach of me, having walked as he talked. Bob? Yes, your battery-operated boyfriend got a full-blooded man right here, but you're rushing home to Bob. I saw Red and almost hit him. I'm not a violent person, but that statement pissed me off. From beginning to end, he'd been an absolute jerk. He was a personal trainer. One would have thought he'd know more about women and how to treat them since he probably had several as clients. He was also a motivational speaker. I didn't see how. The Lorax met me at a Chinese restaurant. A self-described workaholic, he had only one other passion, the environment. He spent our whole date complaining how backward Texas was. Poor zoning, not enough conservation, little effort to plant trees, consistently constructing new buildings. I listened, but must not have been moved enough because he got more and more passionate as he talked. And finally, he lumped me in with all the other city dwellers who didn't realize we were stealing our kids and grandkids' futures for consumerism. He paid, threw a few disgusted looks my way, and left. Day date 16. JJ. I was antsy all day. We were meeting at my favorite restaurant, but at the last minute his schedule changed and he couldn't meet me till an hour and a half later, 9.45. The restaurant closed at 10. Well, this would be a short date if it went poorly, and if it went well, we could go somewhere else and continue it. We talked a lot beforehand, so much so, I almost worried he or I would have nothing to say. I got there early, sat at the bar, and had a glass of wine, trying not to think about the last 15 days and dates. He walked in, sat next to me, smiled, relaxed, unhurried, as if we had all night. We talked, and suddenly he was too far away. I scooted over. We were shoulder to shoulder, laughing, talking, holding hands, the perfect date. And then I looked at the time, 10.15. We both knew that the restaurant was closed. We were far from done. He asked where I wanted to go as he pulled me into his arms and offered his place. I accepted. It was close, 10 minutes. I was nervous, excited, a little afraid. He was ex-military and had this way of making me feel womanly and safe just in his presence. I had a feeling driving down the freeway that my life would never be the same. I arrived, 
And we sat in his living room and he talked for an hour about himself, his family, his divorces. He wanted me to know him and make a decision if I wanted to see him again. I relaxed. He didn't expect anything to happen, didn't expect anything from me. We kissed, cuddled, and when I expected him to say, it's getting late, you should go, I took his hand and led him back to what I assumed was his bedroom. I was right. I loved his apartment, big, mostly empty, a fully stocked bar, a massive entertainment center, a set of samurai swords, a huge wraparound couch, and lots of books. I pictured adding a few womanly touches here and there. I lay in his bed, clothed, he was too, and we kissed slowly. He let me take the lead, sliding his hand under my shirt, cupping my breast, removing my shirt, his, our socks, shoes, pants. Everything slow and deliberate. And when he was fully undressed, I cupped him, slid my hand around his shaft, just holding it. I'd forgotten what a penis felt like, looked like, erect. He lay there and let me hold him for what seemed like an eternity. It was one of the most precious gifts I'd ever received. I had made him erect, something I hadn't been able to accomplish with my husband in years. And when he entered me, he paused, waiting for my okay to continue. I felt like a virgin again. Everything felt new. This man I barely knew made love to me and then held me and we slept. The next morning, we showered. I brushed my teeth with a brand new toothbrush he had in the guest bathroom. And we made love again. Talked about the future, what I wanted, what he wanted, where those met. I saw him three times a week most weeks. Spent the weekend most weekends. Ate food he cooked for me and cooked for him once. Even brought work I needed to finish to his place. We went to restaurants, movies, shopping, and we talked. Sometimes I cried. I had so many questions about my marriage, my life, and he answered in generalities, trying to put himself in my ex's shoes, telling me often he could not. He invested in me in ways a man never had, taught me my own body and made me feel my sex drive was something to celebrate, not a problem that needed to be managed. Had I been more healed, less damaged, I would have fallen in love, but love was far from my mind. I was sex and attention starved, and he loved giving me both, and I loved giving them right back. He told me he would be transferred somewhere else, but before he left, he wanted to set a bar to teach me how I should be treated and make me so used to it that I would never settle for less. He did. I haven't. I knew when I drove to his place that night, I would never be the same. I was right. The Comeback a reflection on my time with JJ. You don't know who you are till your heart's been broke and you try to put it back. First time it's shock, second pain, third you don't bounce back. Anything more you begin to doubt, wonder what love's all about. You battle bitter, insecure. You lash out quicker than before. You're not as stable, not as sure. Because underneath a strong veneer, a well of teardrops molder. But it is nice to find release, to find a soul that offers peace, to meet someone who gives you rest. For this, I count myself as blessed. Today, my steps were somewhat lighter. My future seems a little brighter. My cracks 
don't seem as deep and dark when someone cushions my battered heart. I already described JJ physically, but if you want to know more, flip the dictionary open to holding space. His illustration will be there. He was holding space for me before the term ever went viral. Being physically, mentally, and emotionally present for me, totally focused on me supportively, non-judgmentally, as I felt my feelings was one of the greatest gifts he gave me. The other was the knowledge that I was multi-orgasmic. Prior to JJ, sex was over when I came. I was always the last to come. Sometimes I didn't climax at all, but very early in our fromance, friends plus romance, he stopped me from getting up from the bed after my initial shuddery release. What are you doing? Getting a washcloth. Are you done? I smiled. Did you not just feel that? Not did you come. Are you done? I cocked my head. Are you tired? I shook my head. Sore? I shook again. He made love to me all over again, more deeply, more thoroughly, more intently, on a mission. I matched him, wanting to take him higher, and then it happened. A wave, rush, lift, roar, a million electric sensations pulsating, throbbing, my toes curled, eyes rolled back, body arched, the orgasm possessed me. Muscles I didn't even know I had clenched, unfurled. And when it began to die down, he thrust it again, and it rose, crescendoing louder, harder, faster. And when that began to ebb, he started stroking slowly, intently, methodically, till my entire body became a thrumming stream with him, its masterful conductor. When I could speak, I looked at him, my eyes full of questions. What did you do to me? He shrugged. You're multi-orgasmic. You didn't know? I shook my head. What else didn't I know? It's hard to explain how unselfish J.J. was. I often asked him why he took such good care of me. We weren't married or committed. He said because he could, because I needed it, and I deserved it, and it made him feel needed and wanted and gave him purpose. I was easy to please, he said, and he loved making me smile. He brought me flowers, would have wine and dinner ready when I came over, took me out, And when he got the final word that he was leaving, urged me to set up 16 dates again, hoping lightning would strike twice and I'd meet his replacement before he left. He didn't want me to be alone. I once asked him what he got from seeing me. He gave me so much. It didn't seem like an equal exchange. He stared back. Tiss. You really don't know your value. What do I get from seeing you? Damn, girl. Peace, respect, you listen and accept what I say. You don't put words in my mouth. You give me space and you don't expect anything. He shook his head as if this was the most incredible thing in the world. You appreciate everything. On Father's Day, you brought me a gift. We've been dating one month. You weren't my girl and you brought me a gift. You brought me food. You give a lot. You're just so used to doing it that you don't even notice what you're doing. You're the ideal woman, and you value silence. You let me watch the game, listen to my music, read, and you'll just enjoy my presence. I don't have to say anything. What do I get from you? I can just be, just motherfucking be. You don't know what a great gift that is. I've had dozens of relationships and two marriages, and not once could I just be. I squeezed his hand and took it in. This compliment, this validation, this expression of my unique contribution. Thank you. 
He kissed my hand. No, thank you. JJ's married now, three months. We haven't talked in almost five years, but we met up twice once he moved away. And I see him on Facebook from time to time. As a teen in church, I heard the rose metaphor. I, all girls, were roses. If we were passed around and handled by men, each man took a petal. When our husband came, we would have nothing to offer him, no beauty, no wholeness, no worth. The only way to retain our value was to abstain from sex. Then we could give ourselves purely and wholly, wholly, H-O-L-Y, to marriage. No one thought what would happen to a woman raised to think that way once she is married. What if her husband cheats? Her whole rose wasn't enough to keep him home. What if he's abusive? Her untouched rose wasn't enough to tame his tongue or stop his fist. What if she gets divorced? She's now petalless, having given all she had, her beauty, her worth, her chastity to her former mate. Making girls roses also reinforces the outdated patriarchal idea that women have a short shelf life. Old maid, anyone? Who wants a wilted rose? Every day, every wrinkle, every stretch mark, every scar is another petal gone. JJ taught me I was no rose. I was the whole damn bush. Able to give a flower and still grow. Able to weather storms. Able to sink my roots in good soil. Able to defend myself with my thorns. Did you know rose bushes symbolize courage? And that rose petals are edible, both tasty and nutritious. Just as JJ rekindled my desire to be savored like fine wine, I learned having sex with him was not giving away a petal I could never regain. One I would regret losing because with it went my worth. Our intimacy helped me bloom with restored confidence. Lesson one, stop being a rose. Be the whole damn bush.